0: This is the week that none of us, none of the three teachers, have been looking forward to. We were all joking. All three of us have been assigned this—the Sermon on the Mount—in one week. Uh, you know, because that's 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 a pretty simple uh, topic. Uh, so this week, going through Matthew, uh, Matthew five seven, uh, will be the Sermon on the Mount. Folks, so let's stand and say the Shema as we start every class. Here, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Amen. Have a seat. All right, as we said, the Shema is what an observant Jew would say every morning and every night. Uh, There's no way I can teach the entire Sermon on the Mount in one 45-minute sermon. So what I'm going to try to do is give you... Structure so you can see where the Sermon on the Mount fits in the overall arc, overarching story of Matthew, and inside the theology that Jesus is bringing up and the Jewish theology that Matthew was writing about. Remember, this is Matthew, a Jew, writing to the Jews about Jesus. Uh, the book uh, is structured in a very uh, Middle Eastern structure. This is not how we, who are, basically our educational system is Greek uh, and very logic oriented, how we would structure a book, but this is how they structure a book. Uh, The genealogy, intro, you have a series of narratives, which means Jesus moving and doing stuff, then he sits and teaches. So you have a, a narrative and then discourse is teaching. Uh, Then you have movement, then teaching. Movement, teaching. And so you have the foundations of the kingdom. Then he starts talking about the mission of the kingdom, uh, the mystery of the kingdom, the family of the kingdom, and then the destiny of the kingdom. Uh, We are in the foundations of the kingdom. That's where that Sermon on the Mount occurs. Uh, And if you read, compare Matthew to some of the other gospels, sometimes some of the events move. As I talked about in my intro, To a Jew who was Eastern, accurate and exact are two different words. To us, accurate means exact. So Matthew will move around events to fit inside this structure. Because remember, the structure of the book was structured so that it's easy to remember. So that you say, oh, we're talking about the foundations. This is when the story occurred. This is what the teachings were. That bothers us as people who are Greek or Roman in our education a lot. It does not bother the Jews at all. Because every story is true, he just may move it so that it reinforces the story that he is telling at the time. And it's not like he, t- you know, he puts, he doesn't move uh, you know, the death scene before the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the basic arc of the story is correct. He just may move a day or two here or there in order to reinforce his point. So what we're talking about here is the foundations of the kingdom. The themes of Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. That is the overriding theme of this book. Last week, if you listened to, you're here or you're listening to Stephen, he did a great job of explaining how in everything Matthew does, Jesus is Moses. Uh, You know, the story, being gone 40 days, that corresponds to the 40 years. Uh, The temptations corresponds to stuff. The fact that the name of Jesus, that Jesus is called the child, which is Moses' name in Egyptian. I mean, that's how in depth the Jews understood the story and how they used it. And so, over and over and over, you're gonna see shadows of Moses, Jesus is the new Moses. So everything that Matthew talks about Jesus doing is you'll see reflected in the, old, in the Genesis story of Moses. Uh, and the other theme is the kingdom of God is here. That, uh, Matthew uses the word kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven more than anyone else. Because that is his concept. Now a Jewish concept of the kingdom of heaven is a little different than what we, sometimes we think like this, this is us this is heaven that when you die you go from here to there a Jewish concept of this is this is us this is God So, when Matthew keeps saying the kingdom of heaven is here, he is saying this, that the kingdom of heaven has enveloped the earth. That it is, it's here right now and it's ongoing right now. It's not, you know, in the great by and by. You're going to do really good in the great by and by. He says, if you're in the kingdom of heaven, it's here now. God is here now. He's here among his people. So, that's. When you see that written, when he talks about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, you're gonna, that's what he's talking about. Is that the kingdom is here and it's present at the current time. Alright. Also, you have to remember who is his audience. Four major, four major groups of Jews. The Sadducees. Generally made up only of the priest. They're very wealthy. They are the powerful. Their entire goal in life if you will is to make sure that the temple remains and they remain in control that's their job and so everything that they do revolves around that the Pharisees uh, we have kind of a, a 2000 year later view of the Pharisees than what the Jews of the first century did we look you know in English being a Pharisee is not a compliment If I tell, say, you're a Pharisee, you'd go, you would slap me. In first century Judaism, you'd go, thank you. The most respected people in Judea were the Pharisees, by far. You wanted your kid to grow up to be a Pharisee because they were seen as the true believers in the Torah they were the protectors of the Torah. Their whole life revolved around the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, and that—that that what they wanted to maintain was scriptural living. So they were seen as the very conservative, very, uh, the, the most biblical, if you will, of the Jews. So they were, and there's, there's not very many of them. See, I was right. Boom, the light comes on. Uh, there's only about 6,000 Pharisees in all of around the world in the the Roman world there's probably about two and a half three million Jews there's 6,000 Pharisees at their peak it's very hard to be a Pharisee you had to study you had to work very hard Uh, it was generally the the elites of the non-Levites became Pharisees as far as intelligence, as far as Bible study. Uh, So Pharisees were very, very, very highly thought of by the average Jew. The Zealots. The Zealots were the guys that wanted independence. At least two of Jesus' apostles are Zealots. Probably four. Uh, The Zealots were uh, do anything that we can do to kick the Romans out of Judea that we want to be independent again that the when the kingdom of heaven is here it's gonna be because the new Moses is going to be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem ruling the world that's what the zealots theology was so they're very relatively violent uh, the, the greatest thing you could do as a zealot is die in the defense of the kingdom of Judah, which the Romans were more than happy to uh, help them do. Uh, when you read all the stories of the rebellions, uh, they all end up poorly for the Jews. Uh, every one of them. It's, they, they, they have one success and then next thing you know, the Romans come and they're all dead. Uh, And even in if uh, listening to Josh's Luke or Acts, you know Gamaliel talks about that. He talks about there. Oh, this there are two different guys who have recently shown up around the time of Christ who call themselves a Messiah, and what they ended up doing panned out to nothing. So that's why we should leave Peter and the rest of the apostles alone. So the zealots, uh, we we know it. Everyone, the story of Masada, the story of Jerusalem. In 70 AD, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed Israel. Uh, kill most, they actually kill all the Sadducees during this period. The Sadducees disappear in 80-70 because they won't leave the temple. Because what? The Sadducees are about the temple. They won't leave. So when Jerusalem falls, the Sadducees fall. The Pharisees leave. So they, they live for a long period. In, in uh, 134 AD, another rebellion occurs trying to reestablish from the Zealots, trying to reestablish Judea, the Romans have to kill all the Jews again. Uh, so there are two major, two major rebellions, one's in 70, one's in 134. The Essenes, the Essenes were the, uh, Essenes started out as Pharisees and then said the Pharisees didn't go far enough. So the Essenes withdraw themselves from society and create towns where all they live, we would call them communes, You have to donate all your money to the town. The town leaders run everything. Uh, They are—they are very—they withdraw from society. John the Baptist you studied about last week would have been seen as an Essene. He lives in the the, the—he's all about Essenes are all about repentance. They're all about baptism. So John the Baptist would have been seen as an Essene. Jesus would be seen as a Pharisee. And Essenes and Pharisees are cousins, because the Essenes came out of the Pharisaical movement. So, it would have been totally normal for, John, for, the, for the followers of John to segue to Jesus, because not, it's not a big jump. You're going from an Essene to a Pharisee. So, that kind of sets up when Jesus is about to give this, this message, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The other thing that shows up in the Sermon on the Mount, the theology of the first century is prosperity theology, which is rich equals righteous. Poor equals sinful. So when you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you have to keep that in the back of your mind because that is what all the people are thinking. If I'm rich, God has blessed me, I'm righteous. If I'm poor, I have sinned or my parents have sinned and I am serving God. Out the sentence of God Jesus kind of flips that on his head and once we get started here but throughout the book of Matthew you're gonna see that theology come up over and over and over again of course the Sadducees love this theology because who's the rich guys the guys who control the temple so therefore I'm rich therefore I'm righteous so therefore I'm correct the Essenes, not so much because, but they already said they've already withdrawn. Uh, the Zealots don't really care. Uh, they just want to kill some Romans. Uh, and the Pharisees tend to be actually fairly wealthy as well because a lot of people support them. And they are seen as the most righteous Jews, so a lot of people support them. So it's, uh, so a lot of the theology around the time is self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, the Sadducee saying, saying well, I'm rich, therefore I'm righteous because I run the temple. All right, Matthew 5.1, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now Jesus saw the crowds. He went up to the mountainside and sat down. The disciples came to him and began to teach them. Every one of you Jews in this room is going to recognize this for what it is, right? Because Jesus is Moses. Where would Moses go? The Lord said to Moses, come up to the mountain and stay here, and I will give you tablets of stone with the law and the commandments that I've written for instruction. And then he sat out with Joshua and went up to the mountain of God. Every Jew would have immediately see Jesus as being Moses. Because this is, this is Matthew's theme. Jesus is Moses. Jesus goes up on the mountain to teach. He is about to give his version of the commandments, which is the Sermon on the Mount. He is going to establish his basic theology, if you will, of the Jesus movement. And so th- this is that picture you see all the time. Uh, the verse prior to this talks about all the people from all around who have come to see Jesus the thing to know about the Sermon on the Mount is that it's what we have recorded is not the entire sermon Jesus would not have talked for 30 minutes when these people have come up from Judea he's in Galilee he's way up north Judea is a four to five day trip away this is like this is more like the pilgrimage festival or Bonnaroo right the people are coming up because Jesus is going to talk He's not going to talk for 30 minutes and go, hey guys, done. See ya. He most experts think he talked for several days during this period. And what we have here and what we have in Luke are the synopsis of that talk. Uh, and then you have the beatitude, you have a structure. Once again, Matthew probably structured this. You have the Beatitudes, the Ethics, and the Contrast. And the Contrast are stuck in the middle of the Ethics. So, and this, this is kind of a, a little bit of a Greek structure of Ethics is how do you live? And then the Contrast is Jesus is setting up is contrasting himself with how some of the current groups, Sadducees and Pharisees, interpret the law. Uh, the Beatitudes. Uh, we all know my my favorite scene from Life of Brian, uh, Monty Python. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, they get there late, so they don't get a good seat. They're all the way in the back, and what they hear are "Blessed are the cheese makers." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they then have this five minute conversation about, and it's hilarious because it's exactly what you expect. And you have the, the Pharisee standing goes, "Well." I don't think he means cheesemakers. I think he means all dairy producers. Because <laughs> I think you, just, you can't you can't eliminate the milk, you can't eliminate the goat herders. And so they have this whole discussion about what Jesus actually said instead of like and but they misheard him. Yeah, blessed so are the cheesemakers. So a a yes, I I, I, <laughs> I yeah, it's it, it is one of the better one of the better <laughs> Monty Python. But blessed are the cheesemakers. And then you also have the Holy Gourd and the Holy Shoe, which is also very funny. The Catholics don't think that movie is very funny, but the Protestants think it's pretty hilarious. All right. So let's talk about some rabbinic parallels. Remember, Jesus, the, he, he does not teach in a vacuum. The Jews have had rabbis since Babylon. And the rabbis write voluminously. Uh, Hillel, the elder, says, be disciples of Aaron, loving peace, pursuing peace, loving others, and drawing them to the Torah. That sounds a very, so th- this is the area that Jesus would have grown up in. Uh, Hillel, the elder, do not, do not do unto others what you do not want done to you. What's that sound like? That's the golden rule, right? Only Jesus does it positive instead of negative. Uh, see if here are numbers, to what may Moses be compared? Remember, what's Jesus? The new Moses. To set a light upon a lampstand from which many lights are ignited. Which we're going to, get to, we're going to talk about here in a second in what he talks about. So Jesus it grows up in this environment where you have these teachings occurring. So what he says is not a super shock to the people. Now he puts some twists on stuff that they've not heard before. But it's not like he's coming out of uh, nothing and create, you know, sometimes when growing up, I think, you know, he just, he created this. And people go, wow, what a great teacher. They're, they're seeing Jesus as a rabbi here. He is not seen, at, at this time of his life, he's a rabbi. He is not the Messiah. They, the Jews think he's a rabbi. He is a teacher of the law. Now important, just a little side thing, Hallel is very important to know because his student is Gamaliel. Gamaliel, Gamaliel teaches who? Paul. Paul. So you're talking about essentially the grandfather of Paul here in a scriptural sense. Uh, there are two big uh, schools in the, in the Pharisees, Shammai and Hallel. Hallel uh, is probably the most the most... When you read him, you see a lot of Jesus in him because he is very, uh, Shammai tends to be very, 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 very legalistic and takes the heart. Everything he takes is hardcore. Uh, Halal tends to be more uh, uh, gentle. Uh, I mean, Shammai will tell you that on the Sabbath, if someone is dying, you cannot work to save them because it's the Sabbath. And that if they make it through the Sabbath, then you can you can help them. But on the Sabbath, you can't do work to save somebody. Hallel will say life is more important than the Sabbath. So therefore, you should work to save them. That, that gives you a contrast to the, these two schools of pharisaical thought. So if you have the two schools going, how do you do to interpret which one to follow? It, it seemed like we, we why, why, why do you go to the Church of Christ and not Methodist and not Presbyterian? And because... Right? You you re, you read it yourself and decide, I like this idea, I like this theology. It just seems that in the New Testament has been read what we've seen more is the Shemai that Jesus preaches against. Oh, J- Jesus is definitely Jesus is definitely seen as a Hillel disciple. There is no doubt about that. Because Shemai is especially when you get into marriage and divorce and money and stuff, he's definitely not Shemai. Uh he he is at this point why he is when he's preaching this he will be seen as Hillel. Hillel dies uh, about 12 uh, AD, and Gamaliel becomes the next. That's his who turns is actually his son-in-law becomes the next leader of that offshoot of Pharisaism, and actually becomes the president of the synagogue. of the that uh, uh, synagogue. What? The Sanhedrin. He actually becomes president of the We actually have a list of the presidents of the Sanhedrin. Gamaliel is one of them. He becomes president of the Sanhedrin, and then he leaves Jerusalem in 65 AD, just before that, the rebellion, and moves elsewhere. So he actually survives the rebellion. All right, the Beatitudes. uh, You'll see it's bookend with Kingdom of Heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not is going to be the kingdom of heaven. It is right now the kingdom of heaven. And then you end with, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So a very Jewish way of writing. You, you start and end with the same thing. You sandwich in between. And you see there are, Jesus is actually quoting verses from Psalms, from Isaiah in here. So... And this is a pretty typical introduction of he is describing the person who would be in the kingdom of heaven. So this is a personality, uh, if you will, a a description. And so, and, and he is saying for sure that the kingdom of heaven is now. This is not, is going to be in the kingdom of heaven. He is in the kingdom of heaven. So that's Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is now. Once again, theme of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is now. These are the type of people, the actions of the, of the people who are living in the kingdom of heaven, here is how they will act. And uh, so it's, it's the intro to that. How much time I got before I get in All right, now we jump into the ethics. The first two ethics are very, very important because they're his basic ethic that he's going to establish for his teaching. The salt of the earth and the light of the world. Basically, two ways to say the same thing is that you, as a member of the kingdom of heaven, are influencing the people around you. As you live, your life should influence them, both as the salt and the light. And as you see, the, the light, his statement about the light here is exactly what Hillel says 30 years before this. Uh, so it, it would have been a statement that he heard all the time growing up. All right, Matthew seventeen twenty. Do not think I came to abolish the law of the prophet. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Uh, Remember, Jesus is a Jew. He's an observant Jew. He's an observant Jew his entire life. Uh, Like Stephen said last week, the scriptures, the story of the scriptures are intact. God does not change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If you look at his ethic, what he teaches, the stories, how salvation occurs, it occurs the same. He's looking for the same type of people, the same type of people in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, as far as... Members of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, we, we look at that as a very low bar because we look at Pharisees as hypocrites. He does not see them as hypocrites. He sees them as people that are pursuing God with their entire life. The audience around him would have seen them as people who are the most righteous people in Israel. So he is setting an incredibly high bar here. If you want to be part of my kingdom of heaven, here's the bar you gotta set. If you're gonna do it, by your actions. He's gonna, he's gonna throw a little curve in here in a minute. But he's setting the, he says you gotta, you gotta be better than the Pharisees. And to the people of Israel, they were the best people there. The Pharisees are the best people out there. So Jesus is saying a, setting a really high bar, saying a lot here. No, uh, the teachers of the law are not Sadducees. Teachers of the law are uh, essentially rabbis who are not Pharisees, but, they were, but they're the guys that are in the synagogues teaching the law. Remember, there's only 6,000 Pharisees. So you, your, your synagogue would not have, you would not have a Pharisee necessarily as your rabbi. But these are people who are professional teachers of the law So their entire life was studying the Torah, the first five books, and teaching it to everyone in the synagogue. Here's a a rabbinic story from the time. This date's very similar. Uh, To change Sarai, the wife of Abraham, into Sarah, you remove one little teeny thing in Hebrew. That changes the name from Sarai to Sarai. Sarai. Now, when you go through the story, when Hoshea, who we know as Joshua, to change Hoshea from Joshua, you put the same exact mark back into his name. So this is a rabbinic story, a, a proverb, if you will, that says, see, not a single yod can pass from God's word. Because God takes a yod out early in the story. Later in the story, he puts it back. So that the Bible does not change. What it starts with is what you end with. And so, that, like I said, that is a, this is a rabbinic teaching from the time of Jesus. So, the fact that he gets up and says, I'm not going to change anything in the law. Once again, people are going, he's a Pharisee. Because that's, that's exactly, this is a pharisaical uh, Story. So that's exactly what the Pharisees were teaching. That, you know, nothing changed. God is unchanging. God's word is unchanging. All right. Then it gets into the contrasts Uh, murder, adultery, divorce, oath, revenge, enemies, which, if you're a Jew, you recognize those as a lot of the Ten Commandments, right? So we're back to Moses again. Uh, just a couple things, now this is where he starts throwing twists in, because this is not how they wouldn't, this was not how the people were expecting Uh, you heard it said long ago, you should not murder long ago, that's Moses, right he's telling them don't murder Uh, but if you're angry, you'll be subject to judgment Uh, and then he also uh, intentionally does hyperbole in here verse 23 remember where is he teaching right now where's he living Galilee he's four days if you're really fast from Jerusalem 10 days if you're slow if you have a horse maybe three days therefore if you're altering a gift at the altar where's the altar Jerusalem and and your brother has something against you leave your gift there go be reconciled Then come back and offer your gift So what he is saying to them is, remember, gifts, when they say gifts, you're talking about animals they're going to sacrifice, a live animal. So I've got a dove, a turtle dove, a sheep that I'm going to sacrifice. Oh, my brother has something against me. I need to go all the way back to Galilee, get that right, then come all the way back. And I'm going to leave my goat there or my sheep there. Uh, So this is hyperbole. It's intentional hyperbole, but he's he's saying how important it is for you to live in peace with the people around you and be aware of your influence with them and whether or not you have conflicts and how it is so important to God that you live in peace with your brothers, that that's more important than sacrificing at the the temple. So that's what he is saying here. And another one... uh, which the Jews really hated to hear this one. Settle matters quickly with your adversaries taking you to court. Do it together or you may be handed over to the judge and he'll throw you in prison. What's that make you? If you're going get thrown in prison, who's the guilty party in this? You. This is, the Jews like to see themselves as the innocents. You know, The Romans conquered us, the Greeks conquered us, the Persians conquered us. We are God's people, we are sons of Abraham. Therefore, we're always innocent. Jesus is saying, wait a minute, you may be guilty. So if you're guilty, make sure you should settle that. So the, you have to uh, actually think of the fact that I may be guilty of something. I may have sinned, not my, not my neighbor. I may have sinned. So that's what he's, he's contrasting against some of the, the teachings that are out there the Sadducees, the Pharisees, about, this is anti-Sadducee, right? What's the most important thing to a Sadducee? Altar temple. What's Jesus saying? Most important thing is your relationship to your brother. Uh, the Pharisees, I, I am perfect because I have studied the law. Therefore, I can never be guilty of anything. So if someone's suing me, they're evil. And Jesus is saying, mm, not so much. You might be guilty. You need to understand that uh, adultery, divorce. Again, he goes. He goes into hypertrophy here. Hyper, hyperbole, hypertrophy. Hyper, too much medicine. Uh, hyperbole. Uh, you know, gouge your eye out, cut your hand off, uh, and then this is where he definitely is a hal- Halal disciple. Uh, <coughs> Shammai basically says, "Hey." If you want divorce, go for it. Uh, Shemai will say, if my wife burns my dinner, it is grounds for divorce. Because that means she does not love me, she does not like, care to make sure that my food is not burned. So give her a certificate of divorce and off we go. Halal uh, takes a much more holistic view and says, no, that's probably not reason for divorce. This is very much Hillel. Uh, unless there's sexual immorality, adultery, uh, no divorce. And then the certificate of divorce is all about, uh, that allows you to remarry in the Jewish world. If you do not have a certificate, you are still married. And so you can't remarry. Uh, But so he is actually saying two things. One is that if you divorce them, you must give them a certificate, don't and remember, who's all the pro- who controls the property in the uh, Jewish world? Men or women? Men. So therefore, if I divorce you and don't give you a certificate of marriage so you can remarry, what did I just do to you? You're, you're, you have no property. You have no money. You cannot get money. You cannot get property. With that certific- just curious, where did that certificate come from? Mm-hmm. I you had to buy it. Oh, I'm sure you did. Someone had to ride it, but yeah. Okay. But, based, but it, it allowed you to, it allowed you if the woman to remarry. Os. Uh, the Jews at this period of time, especially the Sadducees and the Pharisees, had a pyramid version of Os. If I'm, a, you know, if, if just me and Steve talking, uh, I go, yeah, let's see. Yeah, I swear by my hair that this is true. Because the hair is, is God creates my hair. So therefore, I swear. Now, if I'm really a little bit more serious, I'm going to say, I swear by the city of Jerusalem, God's temple. Now, if I'm really, really serious, I'm going, I swear by the altar in the temple in the city of Jerusalem. So there's this hierarchical series of oaths that says how serious you are about telling the truth. And what Jesus says, uh, no, it's either true or it's not true. So say yes or no. Don't get into this whole hierarchy, his whole thing of the temple's just the temple. Because especially later on in the book, he's about to say the temple's not the temple anymore. But the temple is just the temple, it is not this thing that you can swear by. Live your life in such a way that people know that your yes is yes and your no is no. Be people of integrity. Revenge and enemies. Uh, we'll start at the bottom. I love the fact that uh, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. If you love those who love you, what reward do we get? Not even the tax collectors are doing that. Who's writing this book? Matthew, the tax collector. So I mean, Matthew even put Matthew even understands that he is the lowest of the low. Uh, And then uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Do not resist an evil person who slaps you on the right cheek. Now, this is, you get into, when you slap on the right cheek, that's a backhanded slap, right? Because I can't, unless, no, Jesus assumes no one's left-handed, by the way. Uh, So if I'm slapping like this, that's an insult. That's not, I'm not assaulting you. What I'm saying is I am higher than you and I'm insulting you. Boom. Boom. And so what he says is turn the other cheek and slap me that way. So to slap me this way is as equals. So what he is saying here is uh, you are equal, everyone is equal. So don't allow people to uh, get down on you. And so if it's an insult, make them treat you as an equal. Don't, you're, you're not getting uh, uh, revenge, you want to treat them as an equal. Do more than they ask. Uh, the If they want to take your shirt, sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. That's basically all your clothes, by the way. What he says, if if you're going to sue me, I'm going to make, I'm going to give you everything and you're going to look ridiculous because you just took my everything. It's going on. If. Uh, Roman law, the soldiers can make you go one mile, one mile only. It was against the law to go two miles. They would get in trouble if they made you go two miles. Uh, so go with them two miles. And, says, and just said, I'm doing it because you're my brother. And take, take whatever load that the Romans were making you do an extra mile. He says, go beyond. Be more than legalistically what you have to do. All right, back to ethics. All right, so he, he is now, during that contrast period, he, kind of set, he has kind of set out, here's how I am different than the Sadducees. Here's how I am different than the Pharisees. The rest of his talk that Matthew's recorded is ethics. How, ethics, how do you get along with other people? And his big point here is, don't be a hypocrite be you know you can see it from the, the very beginning be honest be transparent be the person god has called you to be don't be don't be two-faced hypocrite means two-faced in greek uh, don't practice righteousness in front of others to be seen by them there, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven uh, when you give to the needy don't ask with trumpets sadducees when they would come they would, remember these are the rich guys they would have people in front of them blowing trumpets. Yay! Steve Adams coming to give money to uh, Jim Smith, and then Steve would come up with a little bag and he would knock on Jim's door. Jim would come out and say, "Jim, I heard your. I'm heard. I heard you. You need something. Have this." And everyone would go, "Yay!" That's literally how they would do it in the city of Jerusalem. It was not, uh, you know, hey, you need a little something. Let me give you something, and then. Uh, the other thing they would do is in the temple the the giving uh, thing was metal. And so if you dumped a lot of gold in there, it would make a lot of noise. And so you would see guys come up, eh, it's time it's time to do the little tithe. Let me let me pour this in. Oh, I need another bag. Send me another bag. And so, you know, and you know the temple, there's thousands of people there all the time. And so it's very much, everyone, oh, Steve gave gave two bags of gold. He must be doing really good this year. Because he is, what's about the prosperity theology? He is righteous. What's Jesus saying here? Be people of integrity. Uh, You know, do, give give in secret, because your father will see it and he'll reward you. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Uh, they love praying in synagogues and the street corners. They literally they would when they, they prayed in those days. You, you'd do this, and so you. I actually have a book with me: the prayer of from the first century. The prayer that the person of integrity should pray tw- three times a day. There are 18 parts to it. It's four pages long, and that's what Jesus is talking about: is that if you're a good Pharisee, you pray this exact prayer. And then we actually have writings from the Pharisees talking about whether there's 18 or 19 things that you should pray for. There's an argument about one of them, whether it's two or one. And there actually was division among the Pharisees on whether it's an 18 or 19, and they had fights. But that you would pray that prayer. And you'd get in front of the temple, and then you'd... And so the whole thing, everyone would look at you, you'd scream really loud, people would see you, you would beat your breast, oh God. And then you would pray these 18 things. And uh, same thing for uh, the some of the pagan religions. With well, the same thing is the longer your prayer ran, the better you were. And so, you know, we see that sometimes upstairs in prayers, right? You know, sometimes some guys have a little longer prayers than others. Uh But the same, what what Jesus is saying here, just be honest, be open. Pray your pray, because your your prayer is to God, it's not to other people. And so be people of integrity, and don't be a hypocrite. Don't do one thing and say the other. Uh, Same thing for fast. Fasting, they would, you know, if you're fasting, you would put on ripped clothes, and you wouldn't take a bath, and you'd be wondering, oh, I'm fasting. I'm doing the five-day fast. And, you know, and they'd wander in the streets and, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Brother Steve, he's fasting. Well, he looks terrible. He must be, he must be fasting really good. Again, uh, there's, a, and most importantly, there's only one day that all Jews are called to fast. That's the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees would fast every Monday and Thursday because they wanted to make sure they didn't miss something. And so they added all these, these fasting. So if you're a good Pharisee, you fasted on Monday and Thursday. So that's what he's talking about. These guys going, oh, you walk, you know, you walk in the street and you see Steve. Oh, you know, he's got the oil in his hair. He's looking bad. He's ripped clothes. Oh, it must be Thursday, right? It's, you know, fasting day. Uh, and he says, you know, the reason for the fast is for you as a, as a form of devotion to God, to talk to God. It's not for other people to see you fast. So don't be a hypocrite. So you say, don't be a hypocrite, don't be a hypocrite, don't be a hypocrite. What's his theme here? Don't be a hypocrite. hypocrite. So in everything you do, do to others what you'd have them do, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Hallel the elder. For do not what you want to do, what you do not want someone to do, do not do to them. This sums up the Torah and the rest is commentary, now go and learn it. That's from 30 years before Jesus gives this lesson. So, has Jesus heard this before? Absolutely, because he, Joseph was an observant Jew, was most likely on the, probably not a Pharisee, but he would have been taught by Pharisees. And so, Hillel, he would have heard this. Uh, And that's, I mean, you can't get better than that. I mean, those those are identical. That's, because someone comes to Hillel and asks him, how am I a good Jew? I want to convert to Judaism. How am I a good Jew? And that's what Hillel tells them. Uh, He tells them, hey, just do this. That's the Torah. Everything else, literally everything else in the Torah is commentary over this law right here. If you do this, that's what God wants you to do. Everything else is how God has told you to do this. And then remember, the Jews also had the Mishnah, which is writings on the Torah. And so a good Jew not only had the Torah, but he had all the Mishnah that goes with it, and he memorized that as well. So what all the rabbis said about what God said Uh, another one here, we you know we all sang the song right. Uh, Build your house upon the rock, not on the sand. Same story, Rabbi Elisha Same exact story, about the same time. Uh, and just for Steve, since you're a co- contractor, don't put the brick on the bottom of the stone. Put the stone on the bottom and the brick on top. <laughs> uh, just just letting you know. Just letting you know that that's that's biblical now. Uh, and then you get to the end of this which is a, at least one day probably multiple days of Jesus talking and you have people from all over Jews from all over Judea, Samaria, Galilee Babylon It talks in the fourth chapter just before this where all are, they're all from he finished these sayings and people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as a teacher of the law because what the teachers did is they would say now Rabbi Elisha said or Rabbi Hillel said and then they would quote what all these guys say Jesus doesn't teach that way he says here's what I say and so and part of this is Matthew telling you Jesus is different that Jesus is more than a rabbi Jesus is the Messiah so this is not Jesus quoting other people even though you can see from Hillel and Elijah and some of the other guys that they have said similar things. This is Jesus saying, I'm saying these. This is the teaching. This is how you get in the kingdom of heaven is to be a person like this. And so that's... So that's the end. Am I, am I close? Am I on time? Probably pretty close. Oop, two minutes over. So there you go. The Sermon on the Mount in 45 minutes. Uh like I said, it's, people study their entire lives and write their ta- doctoral thesis on this sermon. And, but, but that gives you the where this fits in the mission of Jesus and in the theology of the day and how people would have seen him. So they see him as a rabbi. Now, when, now at the, by the end of the sermon, they're starting to say he's more than a rabbi because he's not teaching like the other rabbis teach. And... As you remember, the end of chapter 4, what was he doing? He was healing the sick, healing the uh, afflicted. He was healing people who had spirits in them, making blind people see. All the things that every Jew would know that the Messiah does. So you're starting to see Matthew ramp up his evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. Because he's doing things the Messiah would do. He's teaching things that only the messiah would teach not a rabbi all right so next week chapter 9 chapter 8